Ladies and gentlemen, today on the podcast, Spike Cohen, who is the 2020 Libertarian Vice Presidential nominee who will be running alongside Joe Jorgensen here to talk about some of his platform. I'm Garrett Carlson, and this is the American Ethos. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I appreciate you guys tuning in for this episode of the American Ethos Podcast. And we have a guest, Mr. Spike Cohen. How are you doing, Mr. Cohen? I'm doing great, Garrett. How are you doing? Oh, I'm living the dream. Um, so we'll just get right into it. I know you are on a, a strict time schedule. Um, mm-hmm. So let's just get right into it. Why don't you go ahead and uh, tell us who you are, uh, your background, and why you feel like you're a good fit for Vice President of the United States. Sure, absolutely. Uh, so, folks, thanks for tuning in. My name is Spike Cohen, and I am the Libertarian Party's vice presidential candidate, along with my running mate, Joe Jorgensen. We are running for president and vice president under the Libertarian Party ticket. Uh, I am a business owner who started a web design company back in 1999, and uh, three years ago, I sold that company so that I could focus my life on spreading the liberty message. Uh, to that end, I became the uh, co-owner of Muddy Waters Media, the host of My Fellow Americans, and the co-host of the Muddy Waters of Freedom. And during that time, after speaking with countless people and doing uh, countless episodes talking about the problems facing our country, I I realized that we're never going to get solutions that we need from the same two parties who have been exclusively running things for the better part of 160 years and have brought us to the very problems that we have today in their exclusive control of every uh, lever of power that they have. Uh, And to that end, I decided to run for the uh, vice presidential nomination for the Libertarian Party. Our party does things a little bit differently. So we don't just pick a presidential candidate and then they pick their running mate. We actually pick our president and vice president uh, candidates separately. And so I ran for vice president and I won it uh, last month. And we have been doing a campaign spreading the message of liberty, an actual message of liberty, which is something that unfortunately people don't usually hear. We've heard the terms liberty and freedom and and uh, individual rights and, uh, and and independence and all of these ideas, but they've really just become catchphrases for the endless Republicrat war machine that has been running this country for uh, many decades. And so we seek to end that and bring our government back to the limitations set forth in the Constitution and to actually have a small, limited government whose purpose uh, has no other purpose than to defend our lives and rights and property and to uh, punish those who would um, violate those. And that's really it. That's really all government should be doing, if anything. And uh, that is what we are running on. So for me, I think the biggest thing facing the Libertarian um, Party in 2020 is the fact that most people who think voting, most people think voting for a third party is basically just a wasted vote or it's a vote for Biden or it's a vote for Trump. What do you say to people right. like myself who have said that? I mean, what do, you, what do you have to say about that? Well, it's an interesting narrative, isn't it? We're told that if you uh, don't vote for one guy, you're going to get the other guy. And then we're told that if you vote for us, you're going to get one of the other guys. So basically you're given this hopeless, this hopeless uh, narrative that you know, no matter what you do, you're going to get one of these two, uh, in our opinion, terrible choices. What I would say is that a wasted vote is voting for the same people who got us where we are, the same parties who brought us where we are using the same policies that created the situation we have now, which violate our ideas of liberty and self-ownership and property rights and all of the things that are inscribed in the Declaration of Independence and in the Bill of Rights. The idea that our rights do not come from us by government, that if a government is to exist, its only purpose to exist is to defend our rights, which are inherent as a result of our existence and that we need to have a government that only does that. And the government that has been created by the Republicans and Democrats does the opposite of that. It sees us as simply a, uh, a, essentially a chattel slave or cannon fodder to be used in their endless, uh, endless wars, their endless spending, their endless taxation, their endless debt spending, their endless printing of Federal Reserve notes for no other purpose than to preserve their own power and influence and that of their favored cronies. And so I would say it's a wasted vote to keep voting for those people. Uh, yes, they will lie to you again every, like they do every two to four years in, in, in the midterms and the presidential elections when they say, this time we totally mean it, we're going to do what we say. And the, the Democrats and the Republicans do that. But we know what's going to happen. They're well, going to do what they always do. Absolutely. And the, the two parties that have been in power for 100 years have, for 100 years, been telling us that they're going to fix the same problems that they, in 100 years, have created. So I think right. voting third party is... A, I, 
you know, I've never done it, okay? So this is new to me and this is actually, like I checked out um, your guys' campaign, I checked out your guys' platform and I really liked a lot of the things I was seeing. I say I, I would say I agree with you on 90% of things. Um, but there are still questions I have. So an, another Absolutely. question would be, um, so the most successful year that the Libertarian Party has ever had was in 2016 when Gary Johnson, a former Republican, got 3%, I think it was 3 total percent of the vote, I think it was. Yeah, 3, 3.26% Gary Johnson and Bill Weld got, yeah. So I would, I would say that you, that Libertarians and conservatives typically agree on more than they disagree on. So why not give you guys as why not give yourself the best chance to win by putting an R next to your name instead of, you know, libertarian? Well, I think there's a big chasm between conservative and Republican. We see that over and over again. Uh, if you Correct. read the Republican I, Party I platform, which is, uh, last count, I believe it's several hundred pages long, there's very little in there other than lip service about what conservatives and, and libertarians believe. Um, so I think, you know, we've seen what happens when liberty, liberty-minded people uh, try to, you know, quote-unquote, change the Republican Party from the inside. They either get sidelined and kicked out, like people like Ron Paul and Justin Amash, uh, or they get co-opted and used only to uh, give a sort of, uh, you know, assent from so-called libertarians to bad non-libertarian ideas, like Rand Paul and, and at times others who, who claim the mantle of libertarianism. I think that uh, even if you're a conservative, uh, because I actually came to libertarianism from the right. I was a, a constitutional conservative. And even as a constitutional conservative, uh, I recognized that the Republican Party did not represent me. Um, it talked a good game during the, the most heated part of the nomination contest of the election cycle. But even by the time it was time to campaign in the general election, they dropped any pretense of representing me. And of course, by the time they got elected to whatever capacity they got elected, they certainly weren't representing me anymore. Um, when it go, comes to you know Republican or libertarians and conservatives agreeing, that's absolutely true. Uh, conservatives and libertarians agree on many things, but that's also true of conservatives and progressives, or libertarians and progressives, and libertarians and centrists. We agree, and and frankly, conservatives and progressives, and conservatives and centrists as well. We agree. We all have the same concerns and the same beliefs and the same, or we all have the same concerns and the same fears and the same hopes and so forth. We just have different precepts as to where we think we should be going with it. Libertarians have a very unique belief that is based uh, on the concepts of self-ownership and non-aggression. And that is why as libertarians, that is why as a, a former conservative, when I came to the Libertarian Party and I saw how my core beliefs about how I should be interacting with others and what, if any, role the government had with me was the most and best embodied, not just by the Libertarian Party platform, but by the libertarian ethos and philosophy and praxis, the idea behind self-ownership, something that I never really heard in the conservative movement and certainly not in the Republican movement. Um, but with that said, we welcome everyone to our movement because, make no mistake, there is very little daylight between the Republicans and Democrats. There is only one alternative that seeks to actually restore things to the point where uh, the American people are actually more in control of their lives and in which a overbearing government isn't using an increasing number of burdensome regulations and other barriers and taxes and things to keep them down intentionally for the explicit purpose of keeping them from being able to compete with their favored cronies and also forcing us to become increasingly reliant on a so-called benevolent state, which only exists because it put us there in that first place. They have beaten us down, they have given us a crutch, and they've told us, without us, you wouldn't have a crutch. And there's only one party that's fighting against that, and that is the Libertarian Party. What do you think your guys' biggest obstacle to getting in the White House is? Because everything you say is great, and I think, you know, I think 75% of Americans would agree with just about everything you have to say. But right now, you guys, right. I feel like the Libertarian par Party has so many issues going against them, like name recognition. You know, you, I, I was looking at your guys, yours, and... Dr. Joe Jorgensen's Twitter today, she's only got, you know, 50,000 followers when Donald Trump and Joe Biden have well over three to five million. And I, so right, right. what do you think the biggest issue between, what do you think is the biggest obstacle you guys getting in the White House? The biggest obstacle has been, surprise, surprise, that the Republicans and Democrats agree on many things. And one of the things they agree on is that no one else should be allowed to participate in any real or meaningful way. <laughs> um, and so if you look at the lack of name recognition, which is, a, is something that can actually, we see every day people that go from being unknown to being the most 
talked about people on Earth. Well, believe so it or not, I don't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry, but believe it or not, I heard about you guys through memes. I, I think you guys have from memes. Yeah, I think you guys have taken over oh, the yeah, meme no, we, culture. We're the meme candidates. So we, we're <laughs> embracing the memes, and that we just put out a viral video today. So I mean, that is a big part of our strategy. But the biggest problem, less so than even the name recognition, which is something that can be overcome, is the fact that the very levers of the state's uh, apparatus, which they tell us is uh, a choice. You know, they tell us that our our uh, representative Republican system of democracy is a system whereby anyone can run and anyone can vote for that person. And yet we see the reality of that. We see that the Federal Election Commission is explicitly set up to make sure to uh, enshrine the Republican and Democrat parties as your only real options to the point where they actually rob you to give them matching funding. Uh, we see that the state boards of election in each of the states is making is, is, is tightening the vice of making it harder and harder for third party options and independents to even be able to get on the ballot in the first place. We see after Ross Perot was able to, with the strength of one debate performance, almost get elected. He actually had to drop out because he never had any attention to getting elected in the first place. But just on the fact that he was able to get on that stage and show America that the emperor had no clothes, that Bill Clinton and George Bush were absolutely garbage, and that this guy they thought was this funny little man from Texarkana was actually making 10 times more sense than them. On the strength of that, the uh, Republican and Democrat parties took over the system of uh, the debate system and created the uh, Commission on Presidential Debates, which is basically a debate cartel that makes it nearly impossible for other people to get in. Now, with that said, the barrier there is 15% in the opinion polls. In 2016, Gary Johnson and Bill Weld got 13% and 11% in, in two different opinion polls. So they were within you know throwing distance of actually making it to the stage. Joe and I believe that as social media has continues to take over the dying mainstream media, and as we have a, a natural uh, constituency within social media and our ability to reach people without having to beg and scrape for the permission of crony corporate media, that we will be able to make that difference and get that 15%. And when that happens... And you have a brilliant woman, a self-accomplished, self-made woman, a senior lecturer, someone who is able to break down complex ideas and clearly and articulately explain to the American people what problems are that we face, how would the Democrats and the Republicans are the people who created or made those problems worse, and how we will apply our common sense libertarian solutions to basically go back to what the founders intended in many ways in, in returning the proper uh, – uh, um, the, the proper role between government and the people, and in so doing, make us freer and safer and happier and healthier in doing, uh, I think that all bets are off. I think that we'll win easily after that. So it's really just a matter of getting on the debate stage. And once we do that, I think that we will we'll be able to say things like, hey, if Joe Biden would drop out, he wouldn't be taking so many votes from us, so, we won't, so it won't be hard to beat Trump. Um, I think that we'll be in a much better position after that. Well, and, and I agree with a lot of what you just said. Um, I think... You know, based on what I've heard from Joe herself, I think she gets on the debate stage. She wipes the floor with Biden, obviously, yep. because Biden is having some issues right now. And I think, you know, as a human, looking at what Biden's going through, it, it's it's sad. Okay, I think I think if Biden gets elected, he'll probably be used as a tool for the Democratic Party. And he's already said that his VP candidate has to be ready to serve as president on day one. So I think I think she'll because she may have to. Yeah, I, it's like they're dragging him across the uh, finish line, and well, it's unfortunate to watch. I agree with it. You. Really is, and, and I think he is. I think he's being trotted across as the the guy who who served with Obama, and oh, everyone loved Obama, you know, quote unquote. And, and I think they're just dragging right, him across, right. and they're going to push through their radical left agenda as soon as he gets into office. However, then she's got Trump. How would Joe Jorgensen deal with a with a guy like Trump, who would you know? attack her looks, attack um, her you know, name recognition, and just attack her right. versus attack her policies. Well, once they're on the debate stage, all gloves are off. She can say whatever you want about how, how she looks or, or you know, how many people know her. She'll be on the same stage as him, and she'll be able to answer, ask some very simple questions. You talked about reducing government. You talked about reducing the debt. Instead, they've both grown even greater under you than they did under Obama. Absolutely, you which is a main criticism. You talked about reducing taxes, and yet the net tax burden for the average American is considerably higher, is, noted, is actually markedly higher than it was when you came into office. You talked about ending cronyism and, and breaking, the, good, you know, breaking the, the system of patronage, and yet you've signed off on trillions of dollars in bailouts. You have talked about uh, protecting our right to keep and bear arms, and yet you have seen, we have seen a net increase uh, in gun control, uh, gun control regulations even higher than during the Obama years. So how can you stand there? 
and say that you're anything other than the same hypocrite that every other republic every other republican and democrat politician has been it'll actually be a very simple thing and to watch him fall back on you know if he wants to attack her looks or attack her you know she's not as rich as him or whatever whatever he wants to do i think it'll be pretty obvious what he's doing he's flailing against the reality that he ran as largely a a, a small government conservative who was going to or at least or at least a, a you know not as big government conservative uh, who was, you know, going to protect the American people, and, and instead he hasn't. He's done what Mitt Romney would have done. He's done what Obama did. He's done what Hillary would have done for the most part. He's, he's done what Joe Biden would do if he got elected. He's just another Republican, just w- with, a, with a decidedly different tone and a, and a decidedly different way of presenting, absolutely. But it, policy-wise, another Republican. Yeah, and, and I definitely think Dr. Jorgensen would hold her own on a debate stage. So yep. we, we've gotten into stuff, a lot of the stuff we agree with. Let's talk about some time, some of the things that um, kind of turn people off from the Libertarian par- uh, Party. One of which okay. being the Libertarian stance on um, drugs. So me, okay. I, I'm for legalization of all drugs. Okay, because I think people have a right to screw up their body as much as they want. If they want to, you know, shoot up heroin and and be, you know, alleged a, a whatever, they can do that. It's their right, but they will pay for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, uh, I know that a lot of libertarians feel the same exact way. Is that how um, you and Joe feel? Or like, how would you end the war on drugs that you say you want to do? So there's two questions there. One, one is how would we do it? And the other question is why should we do it? And I'll yeah. start with the why should we first. Okay. I've been sober for 14 years. Uh, I don't believe that there are many good reasons to get intoxicated, if ever. Okay. Um, I do think that there are some, you know, medicinal qualities to certain drugs and things like that. But, you know, in, in terms of just going and getting high or getting drunk, it's definitely not my thing. It hasn't yeah. been my thing for quite some time. And I, I'm glad that I've been clean for as long as I have. And um, I, I congratulate you on what, that. What I will, oh, thank you. I appreciate that. What, and, and, and all of that to say, ending the war on drugs isn't about making more people be able to get high or making it easier to, to, to do drugs or even saying that we agree with people doing drugs. Ending the war on drugs is the same as ending the war on prohibition that happened with, you know, the alcohol prohibition in the, in the, in the twenties. It's about recognizing that when government says that something is illegal, it doesn't make it go away. It just creates a black market and it just stigmatizes people with addiction from trying to get help. We saw what happened during the prohibition years, the same thing that's happening now. Cartels grew in power and influence. They were able to take over entire parts of the country. They were able to, you know, violence uh, uh, grew exponentially. The amount of, 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 you know, violent gang, you know, we talk about gangland violence. Well, that's happening now. It was unique back then because it was something the American people had never really experienced before, but now it's common. We've been dealing with it so long, we don't even call it that oh, anymore. Just, we're just used to kingly and violence now. We're used to you know regular shootings happening in neighborhoods where we expect such things, and we go, oh, you know, it's that, it's that more gang warfare, more drug warfare. Well, why is that? Because instead of that drug being able to be sold legally in a store, uh, instead it's being sold by people who don't care what the laws are. It also drives people into a situation where the majority of people that sell drugs are actually addicts to those drugs who sell enough of the drugs to be able to afford their own habit. That's, I mean, there's statistics that show that largely. So the vast majority of people that are in jail right now are in jail because they're addicts who are trying to support their habit. And what happens? Instead of getting help that they needed, instead they get a permanent criminal record, they get put in a rape cage where they are used for free chattel slavery uh, to the benefit of mega-billion dollar private uh, pr- uh, uh, prison labor contractors who are so profitable in using free labor from us, the American people, that they're actually listed on the stock market. And where most states actually have minimum quotas of the number of you, the American people who live in their states, have to be in prison at any given time. That's how that's how much of a machine this has become, how much of a, of a complex this has become. We call it the police to prison industrial complex. Mm-hmm. And then when they get out, their credit's been ruined because their social security number was floating around and they weren't able to, to fight all the people that were using their credit. So the credit's been ruined. They have a permanent record on mark on their record unless they have tens of thousands of dollars they can't have it removed. So they got that felony record. They probably can't even leave the state that they're in, uh, even if it's a state that they didn't grow up in. It's a state that they got released in when they got out of jail. Uh, they, uh, they, they can't get good work because they got that felony record. And so now and you know they have to choose. Do I live a life of abject poverty or do I go back into crime and end up in jail, which at this point I'm used to? And that's the system we have. 
and it's destroyed communities, it's destroyed families, it's destroyed our way of living. And, and we know, we, we, we know that the original reason that these laws were introduced were to target specific groups and specific communities uh, in order to be able to make it harder for them to fight against things like the, uh, the, the war in Vietnam and, and fight for the civil rights movement and all of those things. We know why they were introduced. The architects of the drug wars themselves have said that that's why it was introduced. It never had to do with our safety. It has led to uh, countless deaths and suffering as a result of the creation of these cartels. And, uh, and it's, it's making us less safe uh, less secure. It's costing trillions of dollars, and it's uh, it's an immoral thing. If someone wants to put something in their body, then we should. If if it is something we find objectionable, then we have a right to give our opinion. We have the right to help them to try to get help so that they're not having to do it anymore. But to put them in a cage and to create this this black market, it doesn't work. Drug rates don't go down. Drug uses don't go down. We just criminalize millions of people instead of helping them or allowing them to get help on their own. And we, we strengthen cartels, the most dangerous and, 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 and malicious, malicious, malicious people among us, malevolent people among us. We're giving them ways, other ways to make money. Let's cut off the cartels. Let's make our streets safer and end the drug war. So how do you, how do you stop the war on drugs and how do you get people the help they need because of they are addicts while still maintaining a small government? So the short answer to that is the, 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 the flip side of the fact that, you know, we, we talk a lot about the fact that Congress has over the decades just completely abdicated their responsibility. They just create these agencies. And once those agencies are created, instead of Congress having to actually do their job and pass any laws and provide any oversight, they've just created these agencies that can, you know, create countless regulations and schedules and everything else uh, that simply allow the executive branch to have more and more and more power, which means that the legislature uh, means less and less. The Congress has less and less power. The silver lining to that is that, for example, with the war on drugs, Joe Jorgensen can simply deschedule all those drugs through the FDA. She can simply fire everyone in the DEA and not rehire them. She can simply end the war on drugs. Now, we can put pressure on Congress to repeal those laws, uh, and we can use the bully pulpit to do that by drawing a very clear line in the sand. On one side, Joe and I and those of us who are working to remove the boot from the neck of the people, and on the other side, those who would fight to keep that boot on their neck uh, and to allow for continued unnecessary needless harm for no other reason than to preserve their own wealth, power, and influence. But honestly, we don't really need to, at least beginning. We simply just change the regulations so that they're not legal, uh, illegal anymore. Um, the states will be able to choose whatever they want to make legal, illegal, uh, you know, what, what they want to, what regulations they want to put on it, which is, again, what the founders intended. The idea of federalism is that we have 50 laboratories or 50 different states can pursue whatever policies they want, which allow us to see in a somewhat free marketplace of ideas what works and what doesn't work. And that's what we would do with that. Um, when it comes to getting help, you know, I, I'm certainly not in favor of creating a, you know, a creating some new program to help people. I think what I would rather do is get rid of the federal laws that make it illegal to help people. Because we talk about that a lot. We say, you know, well, government needs to now step in and help people. Uh, often we see that government has created barriers that make it impossible for us to help people. They've actually criminalized helping people. So, for example, if you know someone who is a heroin addict and you want to help them, Unless you have thousands or in some states tens of thousands of dollars for licensing and, and all sorts of other uh, compliance fees, it's illegal for you to help your friend. If you don't turn your friend in, you are now an accomplice. So if I find my friend who is you know, uh, uh, you know, an addict and I want to say, hey, listen, why don't you come to my house? Or even better, I'm going to create an organization with other like-minded people and we're going to help people. Unless we spend big money complying with various state and federal mandates on how to deal with drug addicts, which often is not helpful, the mandates that they put in place. If we're not willing or, or able to do that, then we're actually breaking the law by helping people. So I think long before we'd have to look at making government bigger or creating some new entitlement or, or help program, we simply allow people to do it on their own. And with that being said, it would be much less expensive to help an addict with a few weeks of rehab and then some ongoing care than to put them in a cage for the rest of their life. That costs a lot more, not to mention the fact that because they're now in a cage and doing, you know, cheap prison labor for uh, prison labor contractors, they're not thriving nearly as much as they would be out in the real world. They are now essentially dependent 
they are now a forced dependent and ward of the state, whether they're in or out of that jail. So it is not fiscally responsible or fiscally conservative to say, oh, yeah, let's just lock them all up instead. Even though I wouldn't want to create a program, it would be cheaper and more fiscally conservative to have a program of helping people uh, than to to cage them. Well, and I, I think that was the answer I was looking for, too. I didn't want you to say that you, you, you want to get rid of government, but you also want to, to create this program that will help people. What I want to know right, is, right, right. like, you, your entire, your entire um, platform is about limiting the government restrictions on the citizens of the United States of America. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone who's ever tried has met nothing but backlash from all of the establishment cronies, whether they be right, left, center, regardless. These people have been in office for... 30, 40, sometimes even 50 years. And if you go in there and try to change that, they're going to attack you in full force. Do you expect, yep. if, if you guys get in the White House in 2020, um, do you expect that? And if you do expect that, what do you have to do to you know combat that? We expect and welcome it. Because if once we have reached the point where we, in this election or any other, where we have changed the cultural conversation in this country so much so that we get the roughly 34 to 35% at least of the popular vote that we would need to effectively win the Electoral College and actually get elected to the White House, that will mean that we will have sufficiently changed the cultural conversation so that now our ideas are... Uh, are the ones that are disrupting and are the most prevalent in terms of what people are talking about. And so if the old guard wants to keep fighting us, we welcome that fight because we'll be able to say, hey, listen, you guys wanted to give us this chance. Look who's fighting us having this one chance. You guys wanted to give us a chance to end the drug war, to end the, the wars and bring the troops home and end the military industrial complex and you know make us safer by having a military here that's only that keeping a military that's only here to protect us against aggression instead of starting wars around the war uh, around the world and uh, spending countless trillions of dollars that are printed out by the Federal Reserve and you know all, all of these different things that you know and, and, and all of these different ridiculous restrictions and regula- regulations and burdens and patent protections that have so driven up the cost of health care that it increasingly, to an increasing number of Americans, it makes sense to just put government in charge of it because they just can't fathom how they're going to be able to pay for their health care. What the you're saying is just music my ears. And the same with higher education and the same with everything else. You wanted someone to go in and actually set the people free and set the markets free. Look who's fighting against us. Now, what are we going to do about that? The bully pulpit of the White House is a very powerful thing. And if we were able to actually get in there, when we were able to actually get in and start making changes at the executive level and people can see the immediate benefits from being set free from the change that they were told were protecting them, I covet the old guard fighting us and saying, no, put those chains back on. I welcome and I encourage them. If they are against us, I want them to be vocally against us. I want them to go on every single news media appearance that they possibly can to try to tell a newly freed people that they should be put back in chains. I welcome it. So are you for term limits? Because when when, when the country was founded, the people who were running Congress or were in the Senate and were in the House of Representatives, they couldn't live off of the wages they were making so what they did is when they had something to vote on they would go to you know they would go to the the senate they would go to the house and they would vote and they'd come back and work normal jobs like the rest of americans so basically every law that they put into place they also had to follow now in 2020 congressmen and women can put in laws that they are exempt from because well they don't want to be exempt they don't want to be they don't want to to follow the same rules that they put on everyone else because, right, frankly, right, they're trash. Right. So are you for term limits? Are you for trying to, you know, quote-unquote, drain the swamp? Yeah, I'm certainly not. We're certainly not against uh, imposing term limits. Now, that's obviously something that would have to happen as a result of a constitutional uh, amendment. That's not something, yes. as far as I know, that we could actually change at the executive level. And I'm not even sure that a, a flat majority uh, in, in the Congress could get that done. I believe it would require two-thirds of the Senate. We could certainly bang that drum, though. And what a perfect what a perfect thing when when they're attacking us and we say, hey, listen, you know those people that uh, that we want to you know get kicked out after a few after you know two or three terms when they've been in so that they don't become career politicians. Uh, and also, we wouldn't just be doing that; we would be pushing to end uh, these absurd salaries that they're getting and the absurd expensing that they're getting and the ridiculous permanent pensions that they're getting. All of the 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 the, the, the absolute lavish. You know, these are the people that want to talk about. They have the audacity to talk about 
the the social safety net that has been created as a result of the people that they have made poor generally gener, gener, generationally poor and created generational poverty with their terrible policies and and they call them lazy and yet here they are living high on the hog doing almost nothing that isn't harmful and so we would welcome the opportunity to say hey you know those people that were trying to get to live within their means and not be here forever and in, in, in dc uh leeching off of your money yeah they're actively attacking us i wonder why so that would be exactly what we would be going after, um, and and uh, term limits ending the uh, the and ending the lavish salaries, ending the lavish expensing, and and ending the the beyond ridiculous. La- Imagine having a job for you know five or ten years, and then having a permanent pension for that for the rest of your life that goes up a minimum amount every single year. That's you know it's good work if you can get it. We would we would absolutely work to push to put pressure on them to end that, and it would put the onus on them. Because again, it's all about drawing that line and saying, are you on the side of us as we remove this boot and stop the enslavement of the American people for the benefit of a very small relative handful of cronies and craven pandering politicians? Or are you on the side of keeping that system in place and allowing unnecessary and needless suffering to continue for no other reason than to preserve your own power and wealth without having to actually provide value to the market? Now, would you push for the states to start an Article 5 convention to try to make changes to the Constitution with an emphasis being on term limits? Here is my problem with an Article 5 convention. And by the way, this is not I – don't, I don't know that the Jorgensen-Cohen campaign has an official uh, platform when it comes to the Article 5 convention. Okay. Um, I'm giving my personal opinion on Article 5 convention. Copy. That, the big disclaimer, that this is Spike Cohen as an individual talking about <laughs> My concern with the Article 5 convention is that it is largely the argument that we have so, uh, so distrust – politicians to adhere to the constitution as originally written that we need to put those same politicians in charge of rewriting the constitution or at least amending the constitution and i I, so i'm not against it per se but i will say it is not a major push of mine because whether change happens from the article 5 convention or from a constitutional amendment from two-thirds of congress or two-thirds of the senate or whether it comes from just landslide electoral victories uh, from any side the most important thing is that we change the cultural conversation because politics is downstream of culture. And no matter what uh, political machinations we try to do to affect liberty in our times, we're never going to achieve it if we haven't changed the cultural conversation in a way that makes people want it in the first place. And right now, with the situation and the, and the system that the Republicans and Democrats have put in place, a large number of people as dissatisfied as universally dissatisfied as people are right now with government, very few of them are, are making that connection that the problem is government and that we need much, much less of it. We saw in, in the span of just a couple months, we have seen people across the political spectrum actively protesting, people protesting the lockdowns, people protesting police brutality, people protesting the abuses and excesses of government in all different ways, big and small. And yet, not a lot of them are saying, Let's reduce government. And so that is why we as libertarians, we as those, those who believe that government is the problem and that what we as libertarians call the cult of the omnipotent state, the idea that all good things come from government, that the people of government are, are these uh, you know, amazing people sitting on the shining city on a hill, the very font of knowledge, bringing, bestowing down upon us their very countenance and giving us <laughs> the, fruit of our, you know, the fruit of their own labor. That is a lie. And that, that we need to reject that and fight against that and demonstrate that it's just the opposite, that the people in charge are the most sociopath, sociopathic, craven, pandering, lying, uh, untrustworthy people that we know them to be, and that the system they have created is one that incentivizes that kind of bad behavior and punishes people who try to actually make money in an honest and, and, and in a way that provides value to the market and to completely restructure how things are. And it is, a, it is a cultural change that needs to happen, a cultural change to the conversation that needs to happen. We need to inject our ideas into the greater body politic. And then whether it comes from a landslide electoral victory or a constitutional amendment from two-thirds of the Senate or an Article Five convention, the results will be the same, what the people demand, more liberty in our time. Well, and I, and I agree with a lot of what you said. I think I think the hypocrisy with government, it, government is trying to fix problems that government created. For example, exactly. 
for example, college tuition has just skyrocketed since the uh, early 90s and early 2000s, and it's because government has made more funds available for colleges to increase their tuition prices to get more money for whatever the hell that they have to pay for, you know, whatever. So they have these lavish basketball courts, they have these lavish uniforms, they have these professors that that have, you know, six-figure salaries, and, and, and people don't understand that government is what caused that, and yet they want government to fix it. So, I, I mean, I completely agree with everything and, you're saying. And, and it's not just that. You're talking about the, the, um, the supply side. They have, they have provided unlimited funds so that there are no price signals and no price equilibrium that forces the colleges to keep their, their pricing in somewhat of a reasonable level in order to not you know, lose students. It's worse than that. They've affected the demand side by con- continually ratcheting up the requirements that someone needs be able to get into an increasing number of businesses do you know that you need to in most uh in order to legally cut hair or even braid hair in all but a handful of states you have to run up tens of thousands of dollars in student debt unless you have the tens of thousands of dollars sitting on you in which case why would you be braiding hair for a living you need to run up tens of thousands of dollars to go to school for two years in some cases to braid hair or cut hair or do makeup, or you know, do waxing or aesthetics, or be a massage therapist. These are things that if instead you could simply do an internship or apprenticeship under people who do this professionally, which you have to do anyway, even after doing all this stuff, you then have to apprentice, because they recognize that the schooling had absolutely nothing to do with learning how to do it. It was just all compliance fees. It was all just compliance costs for no other reason than to make it harder for people to disrupt that market and compete for a lower price. It is put in place to make it so that the cronies are able to make more money on what they do. And what it does is it artificially increases the demand for so-called higher education, that so many people are only going into college in order to be able to comply with an increasingly ridiculous set of rules and regulations and barriers that are criminalizing their attempt to actually get ahead without running up six figures of debt in the process. So it is, it is what you said too. It is also then on the other side, they're, they're, they're backing all of the, all of the, the loans and the, and the tuitions so that the colleges don't have to lower their prices. They can just keep jacking them up. And then because the, uh, they nationalized the student loan system now, good luck ever getting out of it in bankruptcy. Even if you're one of the 40% of students who ends up dropping out, so now you haven't even finished going to school. You can't get into your chosen field of work, or at least not legally. But you still have that debt, and you will never get out of it. So it, uh, we can—I mean, healthcare, education, uh, uh, any subject—we can talk about how the government has affected both the supply and the demand side by artificially imposing itself and imposing artificial. Uh, uh, you know, price distru- disruptions and distortions, which have led to skyrocketing prices and ever reducing levels of actual access and quality. Well, and, and you hit the nail on the head, and and I agree with everything you just said. So now we're kind of going to switch. So we only got 20 minutes left before you have a place you need to be, and I need to okay. you know edit the podcast mm-hmm. and everything. So I think kind of the first okay. half of the podcast was you convincing everyone else to um, think third party in 2020. So now okay. I kind of want to shift it to now try to convince conservatives and the mm-hmm. Trump base, who is very loyal to Trump, to vote for you. And I think I think the libertarian ideology is very um, is is uh, what am I trying to say here? It, there are some things that are just kind of deal breakers for a lot of conservatives like myself. So I have two okay. questions that I want to talk about before you get off of here. Mm-hmm. The first one. Sure is um, like the founders are, are, are often quoted talking about how the Constitution is for a virtuous people. So obviously you believe that, but what do you think the government's role is in keeping a virtuous society? Because there's a, there's a big debate going on in the conservative community right now whether or not keeping government out of their lives or government putting some kind of regulation in place for you know to keep a society virtuous. Because let's be honest our society's kind of deteriorating whether you talk about you know any there's there's plenty of examples but i'll just let you go ahead and answer the question right so uh the founders did not intend to legislate morality if they had there would have been a lot more laws on the books that weren't there they intended that you know those things would be handled at the societal level and what we know is and and i think most conservatives would agree with libertarians on this 
having a central authority that claims the uh, you know authority to rob from us as it sees fit and tell us what to do is going to lead to an increasingly paternalistic society that wherein the people that are in that society have less and less responsibility and as a result act more and more irresponsible because they don't have responsibilities. They've been robbed of both their opportunities and their responsibilities, and they've been handed scraps to stay uh, just, uh, uh, you know, just, uh, I guess, alive and thriving enough to, you know, feel like they're, they're, they're getting a good deal when, when most of them recognize they're not, but it is going to lead to there being less than, you know, for for there to be less, uh, you know, less uh, responsibility, personal responsibility. Um, So, you know, when I, you know, the quote about that only virtuous people are capable of freedom, um, my understanding when Franklin wrote that was that was more to talk about the fact that when you have a system in place that allows for people to have free will, but also allows for them to amend that system, if those people don't remain virtuous, they're going to immediately <laughs> cling to that system to try to force their will on others. Well, that's what we have right now. That is what ended up happening. So I think. Franklin was warning against the, the, the natural conclusion of, of, of what was happening there, more so than saying that we need to have laws in place that tell people what to do. And I'm, I'm certain there are constitutional scholars that, that may disagree with me on that and others that may agree. But that, that was my take from you know, Franklin's quote on that. Um, but the, but you know, when it comes to enforcing morality, again, when you tell someone – it's one thing to tell someone you can't harm someone, you can't. Uh, you can't hurt someone else. You can't rape them. You can't murder them. You can't rob them. You can't defraud them. You can't try to take their property. You can't beat them up. You can't do anything like that. It's one thing to say you can't aggress upon others. It's another thing to say, I don't like your behavior, and I think you need to stop. And not just I think you need to stop and I, you know, here, here's why I think you should do this and you, you can choose for yourself, but I'm going to put you in a cage or I'm going to fine you and ruin your life unless you live in such a way that I agree with. Especially when we see that so many of the times that the people who try to criminalize certain behaviors are often major hypocrites who engage in those or even worse behaviors in the first place. And Absolutely, that I would the agree whole with Christian you 100 concept there. And, of you know, uh, remove the beam from your own eye before removing the speck from your brothers. You know, a government that is into beam into uh, pebble removal or speck removal is going to be run by a bunch of people with beams in their own eyes. So I do not believe that government should be legislating morality. I think that government should be removing anything that would allow people to uh, not have to face the responsibility of taking irresponsible actions. And that, you know, if you do that and also remove the barriers so that they can actually get ahead in life without needing government's permission to do so in the first place. If you do that, then I think people are going to naturally usually choose uh, human friendly behaviors that are that are going to demonstrate to those around them that they have value in, 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 in the market and that they are people that can be trusted. It's a, it's a natural corrective thing to allow people to have responsibility, but also to have the consequences of that responsibility. Man, and I 100% agree with that. Um, now, this is, this is kind of a, this is a definitely a different question. Um, okay. But libertarians consider themselves constitutionalists, correct, in a sense. Mm-hmm. So to the extent that we believe that if we are to be governed under the Constitution, that it needs to be with the idea of the spirit behind the Bill of Rights. I mean, there's a whole discussion we could have about the Constitution. But yes, if we we live in a government that is governed under the charter of the Constitution of the United States and it should be uh, recognized, it should be uh, applied in such a way that maximizes on the individual liberties of the American people. Okay, so the libertarian. So. so I agree with there. Okay, Bill of Rights okay. is important. So mm-hmm. you, Joe, Doctor Jorgensen, and yourself are both pro-choice in the sense that government should not have and uh, should not interfere with a woman's right to choose. Correct? We were against government being involved in that process. Yes. Okay. So to have liberty or to have liberty in the pursuit of happiness, you must first have life. Correct? And those are the only things that the government is actually slated to protect. For the American people, so how is that not contradictory? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? Yeah. So, so how is that not contradictory in, in the sense that if you're against government protecting life, then you can't have the other two? So that's an excellent question, and it's one that I'm always glad when people bring up. Um, here is our belief. First of all, let's let's focus on what we agree on for a moment, and then we'll get into the stuff that we we, we may end up agreeing to disagree on. Um, we agree that government should not be funding abortions. 
Uh, and for Correct. all of the pro-life talk that comes from, uh, you know, the Republican side of the aisle, we see that Planned Parenthood just seems to magically keep getting hundreds of millions of dollars a year in funding. The Joe Jorgensen administration would end that immediately. It is completely reprehensible for you to be forced to pay for that kind of wanton, uh, what you as a pro-lifer would believe to be a, you know, a wanton destruction of human life uh, against, uh, against people. Uh, and we also believe you shouldn't have to pay for wars for the exact same reason. Uh, but that's a whole other subject. Um, going back to this, we, uh, we, we recognize that, you know, people should not, and in fact, it says in our platform, we believe that, uh, on, on the question of abortion, we recognize that people have the, um, you know, have deeply held beliefs on both, on all sides of the argument that are held in good faith. We deeply respect those. We don't believe anyone should be forced to pay for anything that they disagree with when it comes to this type of thing. We believe government should be out of it because even many of us who are, uh, in the Libertarian Party who are pro-life, we look at it in a similar way that we look at the war on drugs, that you know it simply creates black markets if you make it illegal and actually leads to even worse outcomes. But let's talk to the very, because I, I don't want to shy away from your question. The question here is a, a question of, of when a personhood begins with a fetus. Let's take the, the most, I should say the most, I guess, logically conclusive version of the pro-life argument, that a human being becomes a person with its own individual rights at the very moment of conception. Let's let's take that argument for for a moment. That would of course mean that all abortion is illegal, uh, even even in accepting the cases of defending the life of the mother or rape or anything like that. But it doesn't just do that. It would also mean that any time a woman had a pregnant woman has a miscarriage, that there would be an investigation from the police to make sure it wasn't a wrongful death and not just a murder. But a wrongful death, a death of negligence, that maybe she should have been taking prenatal vitamins. Maybe she should have been doing this or doing that in a way that would have protected the fetus. Because, again, now this fetus is no longer just a fetus. It's no longer something that she may or may not have wanted to have. It is now a human being that has to have its, its life, its termination of its life investigated the same way that any of ours would be. So now imagine being a pregnant woman who is you know, dealing with the trauma of a miscarriage and is now having to be questioned by the state. Uh, as a result of that. But let's go even further, because again, we are now saying that these are human beings. So for example, in vitro fertilization, that is now illegal because it naturally leads to many fetuses, many uh, embryos being created that will not uh, end up being uh, end up being viable. And that will be seen as mass murder. So that's the end of that. Uh, and it would also mean, for example, that if you are a woman who has already had multiple miscarriages, you will not be allowed to try to get pregnant again because you will be engaging in negligent homicide by virtue of the fact that you are likely to have another miscarriage. It would also mean that obese women and women that are of poor health would not be able to get pregnant. And if they did even accidentally, they could potentially be held responsible for that, uh, for, you know, a, 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 a accidental homicide or, or, you know, some other type of, uh, you know, a negligent, uh, a, you know, negligent charge or something like that. When you say that, when you go to the final conclusion of saying that personhood, not life, but personhood, the allowance and the, the granting and the, the recognition and affirmation of human rights, of constitutionally protected civil rights at the very moment of conception, you go down a path that I have not met many pro-lifers who would say they want to go down. No, and, and, I, and are, I would be one of them. If we are taking it anywhere but there, if we are assigning it to any other point, the moment that it has a heartbeat, the moment that it can feel pain, the moment that you know it reaches a certain trimester or whatever, we are being every bit as arbitrary at that moment as any pro-choicer would be. And since there is no scientific or moral or even religious consensus as to when that personhood begins, we believe that that question, even for those of us who believe that it happens at the very moment of conception, even me, who with my wife, have determined that if we were to become pregnant, we would keep the child regardless. That is our personal value. We believe, given the logical conclusion of putting government in charge of that, that as painful as it might be to some of us, it is best to leave them out of it. And that includes doing something that the Republican Party has been promising for decades and will never do because they have to keep their base mad. And that is ending funding for Planned Parenthood. Well, and I, and I think people think you have to be one or the other. You have to either be for Planned Parenthood and for and pro-choice or you have to be against Planned Parenthood and pro-life. And you're actually right. the first person I've ever talked to that says, well... We're pro-choice because we don't want the government involved, but we would also defund Planned Parenthood because the government's involved in funding Planned Parenthood. So, uh, like, and we'd I, also I, remove the barriers to adoption, which is one of the biggest things. And which we is a, is another huge thing. Absolutely. We will make 
we will reduce abortions by virtue of the fact that adoption will be easier and we will be removing the barriers that are driving so many people into poverty where they're even thinking of abortion in the first place. Anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, you didn't interrupt me. I interrupted you. I interrupted you. Um, so I have my final question. Um, sure. So you guys, so I'm military. I don't know if you were, if you were aware of this, but I, I serve in the United States Navy. Um, and I believe okay. in the things we do overseas, whether it be in Iran, Afghanistan, Iraq, all these different places. I do believe in what we do overseas. Um, okay. I understand you guys want to pull troops home and I understand you uh, why, but how can you maintain a foothold of, you know, American superiority and still pull people out. I think the exact verbiage was um, uh, armed and neutral, kind of like Sweden. I think is what I read from uh, Switzerland. Yeah, Switzerland. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Switzerland. So, so what is your like? Can you expand more on that? Like, how would you guys still maintain that we can't be attacked in uh, in American territories and at Alaska or on the border of anywhere, but we also won't get involved in anything anywhere else? Uh, well, again, we're returning to what the founders intended. Um, trade and goodwill to all who want it and uh, entangling alliances with none. Uh, the system that has been created has not made us safe. Al-Qaeda's stated reason for attacking us was not that they hated us for our freedom or that they wanted to spread Islam around the world and kill all the non-Muslims. It was the, their actual original intent and purpose was to drive the United States out of its occupation of their holy lands in Saudi Arabia and then again out of their lands in Kuwait. And of course, we, we know every few years we find out that whatever the newest terrorist uh, party, uh, terrorist group du jour uh, has been uh, either created or funded or trained or uh, bankrolled by, uh, by some intelligent U.S. intelligence agencies in cooperation with our, with our foreign government partners in doing so. We know that Al-Qaeda was the creation of the, you know, uh, the Reagan administration to create the Mujahideen to fight against the Soviets in Afghanistan, and of course that blew up in our face. And then ISIS was actually started from the genesis of the, of the Sunni street militias that the U.S. government bankrolled to fight against uh, Saddam Fedayeen and, and Al-Qaeda in Iraq. Uh, we know that this is what they do. The, the U.S. Pentagon, and, I, and I'm not going to put you in this because you're someone who has signed up to defend your country and mm-hmm. sworn to uphold the Constitution. I'm talking about the, the craven, cynical people at the top who have used this to throw trillions of dollars into their favored cronies' pockets at the expense of you and your family and your loved ones and all of us who are having to pay for it, including you, you're having to pay for it too. Absolutely. Not to mention the needless suffering that's happening around the world. I don't believe that superiority, American superiority, comes from bombing foreign countries or occupying or destabilizing foreign, foreign governments whose governments were not agreeable or amenable to U.S. foreign policy, which is usually based around the petrodollar. I don't believe that our, 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 our superiority comes from that. I believe that any uh, quote-unquote superiority that we would have would come from the virtue of our recognizing the self-ownership of each person on this planet, that rights do not come from the centrally planned authority of government, but that they instead come from the very virtue of our existence, or as someone, a Christian or a believer would say, from their God, from their creator. That is where I believe it comes from. That is what American greatness came from. That is where the exceptionalism came from, was from the idea that people can have can be allowed to realize their self-determination with little to no interference from government or anyone else. And uh, I do not, I, you know, I, I will say this may be the one thing that we'd end up disagreeing on and, and, and you know, parting ways amicably on. Uh, <laughs> I will say I do not believe that. Uh, and I agree with the founders on this. We should not be doing the things we are doing. We are still fighting the extension of World War One, which went into World War Two, which went into the Cold War, which went into the war against terrorism. And it all feeds into the same thing. The Federal Reserve had to create boogeymen to justify its existence, which has led to one series of entangling alliances in an ongoing, never-ending world war that we have been in for a hundred years now. Why? Because that is how empires are formed. Governments know that the American people would never agree to be taxed to pay for the you know, creation of what was supposed to be a small, limited government turning into a worldwide empire who also engages in violations of civil rights and endless mass surveillance, even without warrant, total violations of, of the Fourth Amendment and arguably even the Third Amendment happening here right here at home and definitely of the Fifth Amendment as well happening here at home as there are bombing, bombing and stabilizations and invasions happening overseas. They know that we would have never agreed 
to be taxed for that. So instead what they did is created a system where they can just print out endless reams of money that they lend to themselves at rock bottom interest rates and then have us pay that interest in the form of treasury bonds that we pay off that we and our children and their children and their children in perpetuity will be paying off as far as we ever will know. And even worse, by printing out those endless reams of money that they will also be uh, by, by printing out endless reams of money and inflating the money supply without creating any corresponding value with it, they reduce the value of those same Federal Reserve notes that we have in our pockets, that we have in our wallets, that we have in our bank accounts, that we use to pay our bills and buy food and pay our rent and pay our mortgages and put our children in school and everything else and to live our lives, which is why the cost of living has steadily been going up since the Federal Reserve was created. So all of the things that we've seen, the genocide in Yemen, the constant bombings and invasions overseas, the constant destabilization of countries around the world, including in Central and South America, which has led to mass uh, influxes of migrants coming here to flee their own countries that were destabilized by our own intelligence agencies. All of that is set up to preserve the Federal Reserve petrodollar and the central bankers and the Wall Street cronies and the big business insiders that have built their entire corporatist system around it. It is not to serve us. It is not to make us safe. Joe Jorgensen and I want to return to where it should be so that when you sign that oath, when you signed up to uh, defend the Constitution and to protect the American people against all threats, foreign and domestic, that that's all you will be doing. And that if there is not some clear and present threat, foreign or domestic, for you to be fighting against, You'll be home safely with your family where you belong. We will no longer be bringing home endless caskets with flags draped over them to protect a system that was not designed for us, that was designed for a small relative handful of powerful, protected people. We will return back to what the founders intended, a country that is armed in a sufficient manner to protect itself from enemies and aggression, with no entangling alliances, and with no potential for wealthy, well-heeled cronies to benefit and to profit off of the suffering of us and of those that we are told are our enemies. Now, I know you have to go, so we'll, we'll keep this short, but I, I, I agree and disagree with some of the things, but we just don't have the time. So give us, <laughs> give us the last uh, pitch for Joe and Spike 2020. Sure. Absolutely. Thank you. And I appreciate your time and I appreciate those who've been listening to this. I appreciate your time as well. My pitch to you is this. If you want a smaller government, if you want lower taxes, if you want the impediments and barriers removed that are making it harder and harder for us to get ahead in life, if you want to see a society that is built around the individual rights and responsibilities of the American people, there's only one party that's fighting for that. and That's the Libertarian Party. The Republican Party increasingly doesn't even try to talk a good game about it. They used to talk a good game about it, but now they have a, a handful of, of uh, you know, uh, uh, opposition, loyal opposition that they put in place to talk about the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and Liberty, uh, but they always fold when they need to, and, uh, and the party itself doesn't even really talk. And of course, the Democrats aren't even beginning to talk about it because their job is to pander to their base uh, about things like justice and fairness and safety and protection while, again, ending up just doing the same thing that the Republicans do when they get in office which is harming all of us. If you want someone that's going to actually reduce government and bring it back to heel where it belongs and return back to what the founders intended in terms of interaction between government and the people, only libertarians are fighting for that. Joe Jorgensen and I are fighting for that every single day. And with your help and your support and your vote in November, we will do just that. If you're interested in what I had to say and you want to find out more, I would love to have you join us. If you want to come do J-O-J, 2020.com that's joej2020.com you can find out more about us you can read about our uh, issues uh, our beliefs you can sign up to be a volunteer if you're able to contribute we greatly appreciate your donation there's a donation button there if you'd like to join us on social media my twitter is at real spike cohen my facebook is facebook.com slash literally spike cohen or if you just search for spike cohen in the facebook search bar you'll find me there And if you're looking for Joe Jorgensen, uh, you'll find Joe Jorgensen on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, on Instagram, on, uh, I know I'm forgetting some Twitch Discord there. She's on a few different things. She's on (laughs) pretty much any social media if you're looking that you'll find her. Um, And so we appreciate your time. And if you, again, if you're looking for a smaller government, you want government out of your your life and out of your pocket, it's the Libertarian Party. It's the only way to go. I appreciate your time. Thank you again. Hey, thank you very much for coming on. And I can't wait to see you guys on the debate stage. Me too. Thank you. Thank you guys very much. Have a great evening. Have a good night. Bye. You too. Bye.
listening to this episode of the American Ethos Podcast. Feel free to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Also, these opinions are mine and mine only, and were not expressed on behalf of the United States Navy or Department of Defense. Thank you very much. See you next time. Thank you.